Uh, we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we're into the book of Acts. Gracious God, we thank you for this beautiful Sabbath morning, the fact that we can lay aside uh, the things that concern us, um, the things that keep us busy in the week, whether it be at work or wherever at school, and we can come and worship you together as a church family. This morning, Lord, we, we had a memory verse uh, from 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And I pray that that love that comes from the heart of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will work powerfully in this congregation. We can't solve all society's problems, Lord, but we can be a family that exhibits love and demonstrates love to our community. I pray, Lord, that you'll bless this community project uh, at the apartment, Lord, and that you'll just lead every step of the way and make this church family what you want it to be. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. Take a Bible, turn to the book of Acts. And I'll give you a page number if you um, need that in the Bibles in the pews. We are on page 1691-1691. And I'm just going to take three verses. Uh, I took a few verses last week, taking uh, verses 9 10 and 11 today. Acts chapter 1. I think this is the third, the third sermon in this series, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I'm going to read the first... Um, I think I'll read the first 11 verses. Now, some of you studied this this morning, so you really should have all the answers. We'll see. In my former book, Theophilus, that's the Gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So Jesus is alive. Most people didn't understand that uh, at the time of Jesus' death. They'd seen him hanging on a cross. And even though Jesus says that he would be raised from the dead, even his closest followers didn't really understand that he would be resurrected from the dead. So we have a living Christ, amen? That's the way we need to talk with people. What do they know about Jesus? Is he living? Is he dead? How do we know? Well, you can tell them about this living Christ. And then, of course, he spent 40 days, approximately, uh, talking to them about the kingdom of God. They were very confused about that. Most Jewish society was confused about that. That's not surprising. I mean, if you're under Roman domination, you want to get rid of these foreigners out of your country. But Jesus' kingdom was really not about that, and so he teaches them about the kingdom of God. And then he says in verse 4, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you heard me speak about. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when, when God, in the book of Joel, in the book of Ezekiel, and places like that, it talks of this mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he gives a slight rebuke here that they're not really to be preoccupied with timing. It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now that doesn't take place until chapter 2. And we're not going to go into chapter 2 today, but we are going to go into verses 9, 10, and 11. And two very important doctrines emerge from this. They are doctrines that you've actually been singing about this morning. After he had said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Now just as last week we talked about the we compared the end of the Gospel of Luke to the beginning of the book of Acts, I'd like you to do the same. Go to the end of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Keep your, your place in the book of Acts. In Luke chapter 24, it starts with the resurrection. And it ends, chapter 24, with the ascension. So you need to have this information. These are the two main passages on what is called the ascension. Luke 24, verse 50 says, When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Now, I was mentioning this morning that in my file, I have a thick file on the resurrection. I have a thick file on the second coming of Jesus, because obviously that's an important doctrine to people who call themselves Adventists. Any Adventists out there this morning? Just a few. But my file on the ascension is so thin. Why is that? Is it not important that Jesus ascended to heaven? How pleased I was that we can actually sing a hymn. Was 415 new to you? Take your hymn off. We've just sang 415. How many of you knew this hymn? Pardon? You knew the music. Why did you know the music? 
Yeah, and that's uh, actually the reason I, one of the reasons I chose it, because I knew that you knew the tune. But the words fit in so well. And look on the left of the page, it has C. Mervyn Maxwell. Who's he? Well, many of you have heard of the Maxwell brothers. A Seventh-day Adventist family, actually born in England, came over to the States, and all of the sons have been very fruitful uh, workers for God. C. Mervyn Maxwell was one of my teachers at Andrews University, and he talked about writing a hymn. And here's the hymn. It actually got into this hymnal. And it emphasizes two doctrines that we're going to deal with this morning. Obviously, the doctrine of the ascension and the doctrine of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, when we talk about the, the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should always link it with the ascension and with the second coming. They're all part and parcel of the plan of God. Do you remember the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is born in the flesh. We call that what? What do we call that? Jesus becoming man. The incarnation. And then, of course, we have very little information on his young life, but then basically the next big theme is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. This perfect life that he kept. Then, of course, no matter how well-behaved Jesus was, they still put him cruelly on a cross. And the cross, of course, is huge in the New Testament because the cross is the place where the human race is brought back into a right relationship with God. So these are the main themes in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, on the life and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But of course, it was always an issue where was the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? Didn't they pay some soldiers off to lie about that? Wasn't there confusion about that? Is he risen? Is he not risen? Well, as we have said on earlier sermons, Jesus spent quite an extended period of time. Forty days is quite a long time. How many days in a month? Yeah, so we're talking of over a month. You can do a lot of teaching where Peter would be saying, yeah, but what about this? And, and what about that? And how does this text fit in? Jesus would be doing his discipling. He'd done it for three years or three and a half years, but somehow, some way, it was really hard for them to put the pieces together, no matter how many times Jesus would say something. In fact, when I thought about this ascension, Many, many texts came into my mind. And these must have been statements that Jesus made to the disciples before he visibly left this earth. Let me give you just some of them. Most of them are taken from the Gospel of John. I'm sure if I would have gone through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I would have found some good ones too. John 6, 62. Jesus says, What if you see the Son of Man... That was one of his favorite phrases for himself. What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was 
before. So you actually have, at least in the NIV, you actually have the word ascend. What if you see me, the Son of Man, lifted up, ascend to where I was before I came in the flesh? Did Jesus have a life before he was born as a baby? Absolutely. And we call that his pre-existence. We don't know a lot about that life, I suppose. But he says, uh, listen to some of the other texts here. This is in John uh, 7, 33. And also verse 39 is an important one. But I'll just read verse 33. 7, 33. I am with you for only a short time. And then I go to the one who's the one. God the Father, I go to the one who sent me. And verse 39 is an important one too. Now I'm going to go to John 20, verse 17. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. Who's he talking to? Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. That's the ascension. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Uh, John 17, verse 5, the high priestly prayer. Beautiful, wonderful. If you want to know how to pray, just memorize John 17. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you. So that's telling us a little bit about his preexistence before the world began. So before the world began, Jesus had this wonderful relationship with God the Father. A text that you know very well, John 14, 1 through 3. Everyone should have this memorized because it is such a, a beautiful, beautiful, encouraging passage. Do not let your hearts be what? Troubled. Trust in God. That's belief, faith. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. So if I go, that's the ascension. And I will come back. So I've titled this sermon, The Going and the Coming of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will come back. This is what we call the second coming, second advent and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. And then finally, John 16, verses 5, 7, and 10. John 16, Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Verse 7, It is for your good. This is an amazing statement, at least as far as the disciples were concerned. It is for your good that I am going away. And then verse 10, I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Now, these are just a few verses that I happen to pick out uh, in my study. I'm sure that you could find many, many others. So we can see, even if the word ascension is not used, Jesus refers to his leaving that they will no longer see him and that he's going to the Father from 
from whom he came before, he had an existence with the Father before, many, many times in, in the Bible, in the New Testament. So this is not just a, a small teaching. It's a very large, important teaching. In other words, something's changing drastically. There's a, tra it's a transition period. Up to this point, man has only known Jesus in the flesh. Now, when he goes to heaven, is he in the flesh still? Uh, not too sure about that. Jesus is in the flesh. He's in the human body. How long does he have that human body? So when he comes back, does he come back with a human body? Yes, mysteriously, he is the God-man. Divine, human, in one person. So this, of course, is expounded in certain books of the Bible. Book of Hebrews is a good one to read uh, for those of you that, that want to take this a step further. So Jesus Christ is... Is, stays physical in, as far as having a human body, but the way we relate to him is changing. Now you imagine being one of these apostles. Your hopes have been really high that Jesus is the one, the deliverer, maybe the Messiah, who's going to deliver them from oppression. And hey, Maybe I'll sit on his right hand. Maybe I'll sit on his left hand. But, but day in, day out, they're eating, they're sleeping, they're spending huge amounts of time with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then suddenly your hopes are dashed because he's arrested. And he's tortured. And he's nailed to a cross. And if you're those two disciples, whoever they were, walking on a road to a place called Emmaus, your hopes are shattered. Jesus makes a resurrection appearance to those individuals to encourage them. But, but can, you, can you see the emotion? Can you begin to feel some of the emotions of these close followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Your hopes are up, then your hopes are down. And it's all over the place. And then, of course, you see this Jesus resurrected from the dead. He makes appearances, not to everybody, but to a select number of people. Well, do you still have these hopes that maybe he's going to be with us forever in the flesh? And maybe he's going to do whatever he's going to do as far as the Romans are concerned? And then finally, probably in that 40-day period, Jesus says, I really am going away. And now we're at the point of time when he's actually, all these texts that I read to you and many, many others that were all part of the instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ, now they're being literally fulfilled as Jesus defies gravity. Modern people tend to scoff at texts like this. I'd encourage you not to scoff. I'd encourage you to say to God, God, I don't know how he did it. 
any more than I understand how Jesus became flesh in the first place, but help me to believe the truths in your word. There's a lot in the word that we don't understand, right? None of us have ever seen a human being just... Now, I've seen somebody with stuff strapped on them. I've even saw a man on the internet who was uh, wrapped up in helium blooms, balloons and went over the Alps. That's pretty high. It gets cold up there. We talk about ants changing color. You're going to change color if you get up that high. But he did it. And he came down and he survived to tell the story just wrapped up in helium blooms. Blooms. Jesus Christ is going to defy gravity and is going to physically ascend up to heaven and they're staring and they're staring and probably what's going through their heads he told us that he would do it over and over. Boy, he's actually doing it. They look and they look. And I like the part in Luke, that's why I, I read it, because he doesn't say it in Acts, he's blessing them. I wonder what Jesus said before he actually took off. And the last picture that they have of Jesus is the lovely face of Jesus. Would you like to see the face of Jesus? These people saw it but they also saw him outstretched in blessing. So our text says, Acts chapter 1, verse 9, he, and he, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Remember what I said last week and the week before, Luke is, yes, is a doctor, but he's also acting as a historian. He doesn't want us to spiritualize away these truths. Now, to see the spiritual meaning is the most important. But to arrive at the spiritual meaning, you don't have to deny the literal physical ascent of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Luke didn't see that, did he? No. But he did interview lots of witnesses, lots of people who, and some of them did see that. And so that's why it goes into his, the Gospel of Luke, and it also goes into the book of Acts. Now, when it says that a cloud received him, then you think of clouds in the Old Testament. Do you remember the Israelites? They had fire to guide them, and they also had a cloud to guide them. And when you read uh, the whole Bible on what that cloud was, that cloud represents the presence of God. Whether it be Jesus in the cloud, whether it be the Holy Spirit in that cloud, the cloud represents the presence of God. So maybe it's not just an accident here that it actually says cloud. We just think of a big white blob, but maybe we should think of Uh, something a little bit deeper than that and think of God. You know, I've ever thought about how hard it was for the Father to allow the Son to come here knowing what wicked men would do to Him. And when you read the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17 and other places too, Jesus says at one time, He says, how long do I have to hang around in this world? 
Imagine every, every day of your life, people are snapping at your heels. Religious people, Bible-thumping people, people who should know better. They're not embracing him. They're trying to trip him up constantly, never-ending. That's what Jesus had to deal with. The sin, the wickedness of man. So the Father's heart must have been breaking to be separated in, a se- in, a, in one sense from His Son. And how happy the Father would be to receive the Son back and how happy the Son was because Jesus told us that He wanted to go back to the Father and be with Him as He was for eternity before this world was ever made. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 20. Because I think even before the ascension happens, we are seeing hints of the change of the relationship with human beings who are always, they've only known Jesus in the flesh, and they're going to know him in a different way. In John chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus said to Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. One of the reasons that the Gospel of John was written was for second-generation Christians. We believe it was written late in the first century, and many of the Christians who had seen Jesus had died. John was one of the oldest, if not the oldest, Christian to live into old age, probably lived into his his late 90s, for for all we know. And the question arises, does another generation... You can think of the same question when you think of early Adventism, how enthusiastic, how dedicated many of them were, even though their theology was all over the place. There's many things that they didn't really understand. Many early Adventists, famous Adventists, James White, Uriah Smith, and so on, believed that Jesus was born from the Father. They had wrong understandings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet this commitment, this dedication is definitely there. Don't you think so? When you read some of these these early writings, I mean, some of them would sell their their farms and and just tremendous acts of sacrifice to get the early Advent movement moving. And how the enthusiasm of that early generation tends to die off. Nowadays, you get Seventh-day Adventists shrug their shoulders. They couldn't really care less about the second coming of Jesus Christ. The difference between them and the world is, is, is... there is no difference, very little difference. They become social Adventists. Some of them still come to church, but they don't come to worship Almighty God. They come to socialize with the Adventists that they've known in school and that they've grown up with and that they've become friends. That's the world in which we're living. My question is this. Do those later generations, the generations that don't see Jesus Christ, are they at any disadvantage? And in the Gospel of John, and and also here 
in the book of Acts? The answer is no, we're not disadvantaged. In fact, Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because Jesus is able to be closer to us via the Holy Spirit than in any other way. And there are people in this room this morning that can testify, I'm certainly one of them, that you can have a closeness to Jesus, a closeness to God. Sometimes when you're praying or studying the Word, where you just feel He's right there with you. I mean, those are very special, sacred moments. You, you can't plan them. You can't design them. But they do happen. And you know that Jesus is very, very real. So here in Acts, Thomas, of course, first in John, is rebuked for not believing the witness of the other apostles. Eventually, he says, my Lord and my God, and Jesus gives him this mild rebuke. Hey, you make a big deal because you see me. What about those that don't see me? And that's everyone in this room. And it would be the second generation of Christians. Those that don't see me and yet still believe. They're the one that have God's stamp of approval upon them. Verse 10 says, As they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Now it's tempting to see two angels here. Do you remember Jesus at his resurrection? Let's turn the air conditioner on. It's kind of warming up in here. Unless it's just me getting excited. Um, two men at the resurrection. They were actually angels dressed in white. Here we have the white again. So many believe that these are angels here. And these two angels say, uh, address them, and they kind of interpret what's going on. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Now, I don't quite know how to take that because I know I would have done exactly the same thing. There's no way that I'm going to stop looking at Jesus in the sky if I was one of those apostles until he's gone, right? I mean, all your hopes are wrapped up in this individual. And he's just disappearing before your eyes. But they say, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Now, when it says in the same way, we need to be careful because there are, there are definitely differences between when Jesus left his going and his coming, right? When he was going, were there a lot of people to see it? When Jesus Christ comes back, will there be a lot of people to see it? Every eye shall see him. This is going to be a global, worldwide event. Also, when he left, it was in the vicinity of the Mount of Olives, around close to Bethany. Does Jesus have to come to that place? Does Jesus have to be dressed in the same clothes as he left? So we don't want to twist the Word of God. Uh, you know, some people say, well, if the Bible says it, I believe it. Well, that's fine, and that's good, and that's a pretty, pretty wonderful approach. But you have to take the totality of Scripture, and you have to look at everything that Scripture tells us about the second coming of Christ. So you'll see 
that there are similarities between his going and his coming, but there are also very many differences. And the, and the emphasis here is it's the same Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ went up to heaven, he's going as a glorified Christ. How do we know that God accepted his death on the cross? We have a resurrected Christ. We have who resurrected him from the dead? Well, Scripture says two things. It says the Father resurrected him and he resurrected himself. But the point is that he's alive from the dead, right? And when he ascends up to God, he's going as a glorified Christ. He's going to be an exalted Christ. Every knee shall bow before this man. This man is, is, is receiving his kingdom. This man is going to be universal ruler of this whole universe. As he was before, he came to this earth and so on and so forth. As far as we're concerned, what's the value for us or even for the disciples in the first century? Well, he's going as their representative. And hey, he's going as their representative as a human being. Does Jesus know what it's like to be tempted? Absolutely, to the max. There's no temptation that anyone faces in this room. Some of you are going through marital difficulties, health problems, work problems. Jesus can sympathize and does sympathize with you in all of your trials and tribulations. You have something, that, someone that can totally identify with you. Do you believe that? If you really believe that, then you'll go to him as your representative, as your mediator, as your high priest, knowing that he's always going to do the very best for you. He's not someone who's, who's trying to trip you up, as people try to do, but he's someone that wants to encourage you, wants to give you power so you can live above your sin and not be trapped uh, as a slave to anything except, of course, to him. We're slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to be slaves to sin, do we? No, no because Jesus Christ has set us free. Now, we may not understand that. We may not necessarily be experiencing that. Some of us are. Some of us are not. But that's what the Bible teaches. First, we want to know what the Bible teaches, right? Then we want to know how to apply that to our lives. So Jesus goes as a glorified Christ. He's the God-man representing us. And praise God, he's actually going to come back again. And if he doesn't come back again, then the rest of the stuff doesn't work. This is one package, folks. So just as he had to die, on, die the death, whether it had to be on the cross is debatable, but just as he had to die for the human race, so he had to be raised from the dead. Now, he didn't have to ascend visibly, right? Have you ever thought about that? Why was it visible? Because I, what, what I hinted about a few minutes ago, it's a transition period, it's a transition time. Those disciples have got to get used to relating to a Jesus that they can no longer see. And I believe in that 40 days, that was like a, a trial period. Because sometimes Jesus was there visibly, but sometimes he was not. The disciples at that time are going to be saying, what's going on? And now, when he visibly goes, they're going to have to, from that point on, they're going to have to relate to him 
in a non-physical non or non-literal way, in a totally different way than they have done for three and a half years. And so I believe that when Jesus left visibly, it really was um, an act of grace on his part to help the disciples really. It's almost like having a loved one that dies, disappears on you, but you have a memorial service. You have something to help you make that transition from one phase of life to another phase of life. I, I like it in Luke when it says at the end of Luke that Jesus blessed them. I, I read that to you, do you remember? Kind of like your last, last experience with Jesus is you're seeing him. Is he smiling? Of course. He's ecstatic. He's smiling and he's blessing them. And then it says they went back to Jerusalem real sad. Is that what it says? What does it say? They went rejoicing. Now this is the first time that they've rejoiced when Jesus tells them he's going away. They've actually seen him leave. They've understood the message. They're going to even understand it even more when Pentecost is poured out and that Spirit is, is poured out in a mighty way. But they go back rejoicing. We too should rejoice. And it, it says they're in the temple, they're praising God. You see, the reason that they praise, the reason that they rejoice, is not because they've got their act together. Not because they're goody-two-shoes, but because Christ, the whole plan of God, is being perfectly worked out in the Lord Jesus Christ. All their hopes, all their dreams are wrapped up in the living one who is mediating in heaven and is coming back. Now, I believe that they thought Jesus would be coming very soon. So there were some things that they would have to adjust as far as that concerned. But what does is, what is Jesus says? Hey, or the angel says, your business is not the timing. Right? Your business is to do the work of God while you have breath in your lungs. While it is today, be his witnesses. So stop the stargazing, stop the date setting, and get busy with the witnessing, and the ones who are busy with the witnessing are the ones that get the anointing of the Holy Spirit. All of these things are connected together. I do not believe for a moment, and I believe that Ellen White would back me on this one, that the Spirit of God is poured out to a passive church. I do not believe it, and I challenge you to show me a text or a statement of hers where she said that it always seems to be on the cutting edge of evangelism where God's Spirit... God knows that you and I need tremendous power to convince people who are dead in sin that Jesus really is alive and that He has dealt with the sin problem and that they can go to Him in a moment of time they don't have, they're not on trial. They don't have to prove themselves. They can go to Jesus in a moment of time and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. What will Jesus say? Well, I don't know about this. You've been pretty bad. 
you've been bad now for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Maybe I'll string you out for a little bit longer. Is that the kind of God that we serve? Immediately, in a second of time, an individual can go from, from an individual heading for hell, dead in sin, to heading for heaven with the gift of eternal life. It's possible for all of us. And we shouldn't overcomplicate this. I mean, it is deep, admittedly. You can dig, dig, dig deep. And many of us love to do that. And we are encouraged in Scripture to dig as for hidden treasure. But when it comes to sharing to the average person in the street, you've got to keep it pretty simple and tell them that they can get right with Christ in a moment of time. And hey, Jesus is coming back. It's even in our name, Seventh-day Adventist. There's no reason why Jesus has to be 100 years, 200 years, 300 years. Last events can move rapid, rapid, rapid. And the Lord can come. In the meantime, we don't worry about the date setting. We just get busy working apartments. Have you all filled your sheets in? Suzanne, how many of the sheets did you get? Two? Well, there's more than two people in this room. You know what I'm talking about? This is where the rubber meets the road, folks. Okay? Green one and the volunteers needed. So you have the information before you. Fill it in. Get it in Suzanne's hands. Hand it in at the door. And let's start impacting our community. Because I'll tell you, if you're amongst a group where this latter rain will fall, that's, that's the place where you need to be. Experience in the latter rain pound. We'll talk about that in a few weeks when we talk about Acts chapter 2. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for a living Christ who has ascended to your presence and has dominion over the whole universe, but will come back soon to gather his children together and to eventually create a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Lord, may every person here this morning be righteous in your sight by trusting in Jesus Christ and following him. May we be doing righteous acts in our community. Get out there and share the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in any practical way, the way that you impress us. Bless this church family, Lord. May it grow from strength to strength. For in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.